Thanks, Carrie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we can start with the first slide. Um, so we're in the middle of a series on Ephesians. I am the last of a series of four. So today we're doing Ephesians 6.13. This is about the armor of God. And uh, it, um, Ramesh took the series from uh, Watchman Nee. And Watchman Nee has a book. It's called um, Sit, Walk, Stand. And so we're today doing Stand. It's taken from Ephesians 6.13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. So I really like uh, the armor of God uh, in Ephesians, this passage of scripture, because um, right now I'm teaching kindergarten and uh, you know that little boys can make anything into a sword or a gun. You know, pencils can be a sword and there can be great sword fights going on in the back of my room with pencils that they, by the way, also eat. You know, the chewed pencils that they do sword fights with and, you know, bananas at lunch become guns and they're shooting each other across the, across the classroom, you know, with their guns. And I guess you've all had teachers and I call their name and I raise my eyes and put my hands on my hips and do this. And they're just writing with their pencils, Miss Ewell. We weren't doing, you know, I'm just eating a banana. There's nothing wrong with that, Miss Ewell. And so I really like the armor of God because I think it's really fun. Like, it's a fun passage. And, you know, and if you have a little boy who likes sword fights inside of you, this sermon is for you. <laughs> um, so what I really came to understand about the armor of God was that God talks a lot about clothing in the Bible. You know, it's really funny because when he made Adam and Eve, we know that they were clothed with his glory, not with clothing. And yet, ever since he made uh, clothing for Adam and Eve, the Bible is full of stories about clothing. You know, uh, there was a Roman soldier and, you know, an angel visits him. And when he's telling the story later to Peter, he says, oh, and his clothing was all white. And in Revelation, it talks about clothing that God's going to give us. And so I really like clothing. So we'll go to the next slide. Um, I have a sister. That's the tall one, is my sister. We were in Germany visiting uh, my mother's friend, Ulla. And one of the really great things about having a sister is that you can share her clothes, especially when you're the shorter one and all her clothes fit you, but not many of your clothes fit her. <laughs> And I would show up at high school, you know, I would have something banned in the morning or something, and I would go to high school in her clothes, and she'd see me at lunch, and she'd say, hey, that's my clothes. I'd say, yeah, yeah, thank you, you know. And so this one day, she came home with overalls, and I was like, ooh, overalls, those look really comfortable. I'm like, oh, those are nice. And she says, you're not wearing those. I'm like, why not? She says, you'll wreck them. You'll have to roll them up at the bottom, and then they'll have these lines down at the cuffs, and... So I had to buy my own overalls. So those are my own overalls I'm in in this picture. But I think if you notice at the bottom, they are rolled up because they were still too long for me. <laughs> and when God talks about the armor of God in Ephesians, he's telling us about clothing that he's giving us to put on. You know, this isn't um, something we have to work up or make ourselves. This is something he gives us, you know, clothing to put on. And... Uh, so that's why I like this passage, because it's about clothing. <laughs> uh, okay, so on the next slide. So we're just going to do a quick review. So um, Ramesh started with sit in Ephesians uh, 1 to 3. 
And the sitting of Ephesians talked about who we are in Christ. We're seated in heavenly places with him. We have his authority. We're his kids. Who are we? We're people who come in before the king. Because when you come before a king, you stand, don't you? When you come in before a president or prime minister, you stand, right? But we come in before the king of all kings and we sit down, right? Because we are his kids. So it's, sit was about knowing who you are. And then we had walk. Walk is about knowing what to do. Okay, so we're the king's kids, so what do we do? How do we act? You know, and Paul goes through a whole list of things that we can do to show that we're the king's kids that are so much easier to do when you know who you are. You know, it's just so much easier to be nice to people when you know that God has given you forgiveness and that in the end your team wins and that, you know, he's able to heal us. It's just so much easier, you know. So that's all about walk. And then today we're moving on to stand. So we're going to read uh, Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. So this says finally. Finally, because we need to know who we are and we need to have been walking it out before we do this, right? So this is the last step. If we try to stand before we've sat, before we walk, that's going to be really hard. You know, putting on the armor of God is going to be more difficult. Standing against the devil's schemes is going to be more difficult. Okay, the next slide. So what is this armor for, right? What is this armor for? So uh, David, he was born a shepherd boy who became a king. And so when David was in the palace and he was working for King Saul, he didn't wear his shepherd's clothes anymore. He wore clothes of somebody who was in a court. But he and Jonathan were really good friends. And Jonathan knew that he was not going to be king. He knew that David was going to be king. And you know what Jonathan did? Now, this is crazy to me. If I was going to be king and some other guy came in and I knew he was going to be king, I don't think he would be my best friend. I don't think so. You never know. But David and Jonathan, they were best friends. You know what Jonathan says? Jonathan says to David, you're going to be king and I'm going to be second. And he says, to be king you need my clothes. And he gives David his clothes, and he gives David his armor, his weapons, his sword. That's because of who David was going to be. He was going to be king. He was called to be king, and he needed that. So when God tells us, put on the armor of God, put on the clothes I give you, that's because of who we are, who we're called to be. See, we're called to be in God's army. You know, onward Christian soldiers. <laughs> it, we're called to be in his army. We're not only called to be uh, kids. We're not only called to be friends. We're also called to be soldiers, which is really cool. It's really cool because God has really cool ways of fighting. 
You know, there's all these stories in the Bible about the uh, uh, Israel's army. They go to fight, and God fights the battle for them. One time, a whole bunch of people die in the forest. And the forest, it says the forest kills more people than the soldiers did. Like, I don't know about you, but I've never seen trees fight. But that's what the Bible says happened that day. The trees fought. You know, like God has really cool ways of doing things that we don't quite understand. So sometimes when we think about putting on the armor of God, it's a little bit maybe intimidating or scary. We feel like, I'm not a soldier. But the truth is, God has really cool ways of doing things. So we're going to look at that today. So it says uh, in that passage we read that we fight not flesh and blood, but in the heavenly realms. So I don't know about you, but sometimes it really seems like I'm fighting in like the flesh and blood realm. You know, one of the little boys in my class um, very much likes pinching, <laughs> especially when myself and the EC isn't looking. And so uh, we always need to be holding his hand and one of us always needs to be with him. And I have to tell you, that doesn't seem like a fight in the heavenly realms to me. It seems like, because especially my back, my back often tells me that I have been fighting in the physical realm, bending over and making sure, you know, he's not pinching anyone. But what God says here is that this fight is actually a spiritual fight first. That when we pray, and we pray, and we see what God has to say, that he will do it in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual realm, and that we'll see it happen on earth. And we pray that in the Lord's Prayer, right? Your will be done on earth as it already has been done in heaven. Right? So this fight, even though like it seems, you know, um, maybe it seems like our fight is against a boss who really wants us out, or our fight is against... Um, sickness that has us down or our fight is against financial difficulties when um, you know the mortgage rates go up it seems like the fight is in this world but what God is saying here is that actually you can fight that in the heavenly realms and you can see it become a reality and you notice that it didn't say your fight is against demons it said, your fight is against rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces. There's, he lists a whole bunch of different kinds of things. I think that's why the armor of God isn't just one thing. You know, our fight is against all these different things. You know, it's against, uh, what did it say again? <laughs> it's against powers and spiritual forces and rulers. Like, perhaps, you know, the shield of faith I need for the powers and the word of God I need for the rulers. You know, like, we need different tools. You know, as we get to know how we pray, how we use the armor of God, different tools seem to fit us better. You know, like, we get to use different things. Maybe we use prayer. Maybe we use fasting. Maybe we use encouragement. Maybe we use praise, you know, in our artillery. You know, and different kinds of prayers and different kinds of tools work for different kinds of situations. And God gives us insight into that. The next thing that that passage says is that the purpose of the armor is to stand against the devil's schemes and to stand our ground on the day of evil. Really, it's telling us that we're putting on this armor to be prepared. 
Right? So there's two kinds of days of evil, right? There's the day of evil that we all have when troubles come to our life, right? When sickness comes, when relationship problems come, when uh, financial problems come, right? We have days of evil that come in our life. And what God is saying is, if you're not prepared already, you're not going to be able to stand. Right? If we don't practice this now, if we're not prepared, we won't be ready to stand. And the second kind of day of evil, the second meaning there, is the end times. The day of evil is often referred to um, the day when the Antichrist comes. And we've talked about this a bit in this church, but the Bible tells us there's a day coming when um, Jesus is going to come back. And when there'll be um, very difficult times on earth, and where there'll be a man called the Antichrist who brings very hard times on earth. And it doesn't really matter what your end time theology is. The Bible says there's beginning of labor pains and there's labor pains, and we will be here for at least some of that. And this is saying that in order to be ready for that day, church, we need to take up the armor of God or we won't be ready for that day. We won't be ready for those times. Jesus told us, you know, in this world you have trouble, but take heart, it's okay. You know, how can Jesus say that? First he says, okay, you know, it's going to be really hard, you're going to have trouble just like me, they treated me bad, they're going to treat you bad, but it's okay, take heart, I've overcome the world. I'm like, I do not understand what he's saying there. Like, take heart, I've overcome the world, you know, my, my back still hurts God, <laughs> you know. So, on the day of evil, he's saying, this is going to help you. This is one way to understand what I'm saying. This is one way to get to know me better. One way to know, okay, I'm going to be okay, right, on the day of evil. Okay. So I don't know about you, but um, there's often two battles that we fight. The first battle is to take the ground, right? And the second battle is to keep the ground. Because often, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, where you were healed in church, or you were healed and somebody prayed, and then the next week later, the same thing came back. Or maybe um, you got a, a breakthrough uh, at work, and it, things were really going well, and then the next week it, it got bad again. You know, because it, it is one battle to take the ground and one battle to keep the ground. And I find, personally, the battle to keep the ground is really hard because often it's unexpected. And God is saying, you know, this armor of God, we need it to keep the ground. So on the next slide, I'm going to show you one of my battles. Um, so the slide uh, of me, I was a bridesmaid. That's my friend Marjorie getting married just after university. So my battle was to lose weight. I don't know if any of you have ever had that battle. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's me probably at my heaviest there. So I decided that I was going to be healthier and lose weight. And uh, when I went to Japan, uh, I started eating differently. The first time I was there, I started eating differently and losing weight. And so this is me now on that side. I have to tell you, it is really hard to keep weight off. Oh my goodness, I love cookies. I think I've mentioned that quite a bit before. <laughs> You know, and this is a lighthearted battle, right? I mean, it is a very serious battle for me. This is a lighthearted battle, but it does demonstrate, you know, that every day when you go downstairs to potluck meals, 
there's a battle to fight, right? And that's the same with us, with many, many things in our lives, you know? We fought a battle to the place where we're able to forgive our dad. You know, I've come to the place, okay, I'm able to forgive my dad. And then something happens that reminds you of something you'd forgotten about. And that anger all just comes up again. And, you know, and that meant this and that meant that. And, you know, it's a battle to keep that ground where we've forgiven him, you know, to forgive again. Because the thing about the battle to keep the ground is you just do the same thing over and over. You forgive again and you forgive again and you forgive again, right? This is the battle that we're doing. Okay, next slide. So this is what God says. How do you fight the battle, right? We put on his clothes. So the first thing he says to put on is the belt of truth, right? This is the first thing that we need to be prepared for the day of evil. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And uh, so God gives us the belt of truth, and we put it on. And what it is is we're clothing ourselves with Christ. That's what it says, I think, in Galatians. You are to clothe yourself with Christ. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? So we're putting on the truth, which is Christ. And what that does is when we're prepared, we've been telling the truth all along. And when the day of evil comes and somebody tells um, another teacher in my school that I said something bad about them, that teacher's going to say, you know, I know Amanda and she often tells the truth. I haven't known her to lie. So I'm not sure I believe that. See, on the day of evil, your truthfulness will fight the battle for you. You've already done the work of truthfulness, right? So if we don't always tell the truth, then people won't believe us. And I say, if we're not truthful, we'll be caught with our pants down on the day of evil. Right? You don't have the belt of truth, and then you're embarrassed on the day of evil because people see the lies, right? So we need to put on the belt of truth. The next thing we need to put on is the breastplate of righteousness with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And, um, you know, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul tells us that we are the righteousness of God, right? So this is not us trying to be righteous. This is put, putting on God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness on us, right? So when we do this, actually, I have to say, when we know that we are righteous before God because of what Jesus did, that we can do it, it's a lot easier to walk in righteousness because we know we are righteous. So when we're not righteous, we can say, oh, that's not who I am. You know, I am righteous, and it's easier to walk in it when we know who we are. It's easier to put on his righteousness. And the thing about righteousness in the day of evil is that when we don't have righteousness, right, when we've done something that our conscience says uh, isn't right, that creates a problem for us on the day of evil because we know we've done something wrong and we're not able to stand. What happens is we fall back, right? We fall back, we give up the ground because we know we've done something wrong, right? So maybe I've watched something on TV that I shouldn't have watched and I think, oh, you know, that wasn't good for me to watch. And the enemy jumps right on it and he says, that's right, you shouldn't have watched that. In fact, you should be praying then. You shouldn't be watching TV. You should spend that hour praying. So what happened there was the enemy came in because of something I did with a lie that causes me to fall back. Do you know what the lie is in that statement? Not 
Not about praying more. Praying more is great if that's what God says to do. The lie is should. You should pray more. Should indicates condemnation. God doesn't come in with condemnation. When God wants me to pray more, he gets me excited about praying. Oh, wouldn't it be so good to pray for this person? You know what? I really want to do that. I think I'm going to pray right now. And his spirit's on it, and I pray. God doesn't say you should pray more. Right? And so without the breastplate of righteousness, what happens is our heart is open to the lies of the enemy coming in. Right? It causes us to fall back, fall back, fall back. So we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Without righteousness, we have no protection for our heart. With his righteousness, we have protection. Right? Okay, next slide. The gospel of peace. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So um, I have done uh, disaster relief a few times. The first time was with Mike in New Orleans. And this is um, the top picture there is the picture of the area of New Orleans that was completely flattened by the flood. And then uh, down below, uh, Mike and I went with um, the youth from the airport church. And so Mike's in the yellow there, <laughs> showing off his muscles. <laughs> Uh, and I'm taking the picture, I think. I don't think I'm in that picture. Yeah, I'm taking that picture. So that was our little group. There was about maybe 30 or 40 of us that went. And um, then in the next slide is when I was in Japan in Fukushima doing disaster relief after the um, earthquake and the um, triple disaster. So the floods and the nuclear disaster. Um, so we were working in houses that um, had been already declared safe but uh, all the garbage, as you can see, was washed in, so we were cleaning out the garbage. So uh, my job was to empty the bottles because the water had washed away all the labels off the bottles, so we didn't know what they were. And the sewers weren't working that well, but we were pouring them down the drain in the street there, and it really smelled bad. <laughs> It smelled very bad. And um, I was pouring out all this stuff and didn't know what it was. But the last thing I poured out was a bottle of perfume. And then it smelled so nice. And people would be walking by and go, oh, it smells so nice over, <laughs> over here. What I want to say about um, the disaster relief is that people who've lived through natural disasters or other kinds of disasters, maybe war or famine, peace is one of the first things that leaves. And people are really craving peace because what happens is fear comes in and they lose peace. And um, when I lived in Japan, when there was the big earthquake, I was in Tokyo. And uh, it, it was, I was home when it happened. And um, of course, it was the biggest earthquake there has been recorded. And so it was the biggest earthquake I'd ever been in, although I've been in lots of earthquakes. And um, so, you know, everything was shaking and I opened the windows to see what was going on outside. And you're supposed to open windows and doors first. And, you know, the thing is, we'd prayed over our neighborhoods already at church because in Japan, it's well known that there'll be earthquakes. And so the Christians pray over their houses and neighborhoods already. So I'd already prayed over my apartment in that neighborhood. So although it was scary, I wasn't as scared as I could have been. I was pretty confident that God was going to keep my neighborhood safe because I prayed for it. <laughs> um, and uh, 
The week after that, the weeks after that, were still very scary because there were still lots of earthquakes happening. They were aftershocks, but the aftershocks were still bigger than any other earthquake that um, people had been in in Tokyo and that I'd been in. And there was always the chance that your building would fall down. And there wasn't um, a lot of electricity because the nuclear power plant had provided electricity. So the electricity came and went. And a lot of the sewers didn't work. And there was no food in the grocery store. You had to line up in the morning. If you weren't the first 20 people in line, you wouldn't get water or bread. That's what went first. So you lined up early in the morning. And um, at any point, the power plant could really explode because they were having leaks they couldn't control. And it wasn't known then. Even then, it wasn't known if we'd already all been radiated. We could, like, it was possible that we would all die in the next five years. That was possible because not just, it wasn't known what the disaster was like, how big it was. Um, and so at any day, you could die for a few weeks. So um, my, one of my English students was saying to me, Amanda, you have peace, how can you have peace? We're woken up like, you know, four or five times a night, like, you know, five times every day, there's big quakes, like how can you be at peace? And I told her, you know, that's Jesus. Because in crisis, people want peace. And we have the gospel of peace, right? We know Jesus, we know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, and to really know that, because that's, that's a hard thing to know, you know. To die is gain, that's really hard. That takes some practice, that takes some preparation. Because, you know, Jesus, now I have to tell you, I didn't sleep through the earthquakes, but Jesus, he slept through a storm in a boat. The boat was going up and down and up, and the waves were swamping the boat, and he slept. Now, I don't have his level of peace yet, but I want it. You know, because he is the prince of peace, and I want to put on his peace. And they woke him up, and they said, Jesus, Jesus, we're going to die. What are you doing sleeping? And then you know what he did? He took the peace that was inside of him, and it became the reality of peace around him. See, that's what I want. I want the peace inside of me to become the reality of peace around me that my English student can also experience the gospel of peace that she wouldn't be worried about dying in an earthquake the next day. You know, this is how we're ready for the day of evil. Okay, the next slide, the shield of faith. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In Romans 12, 3, it says that we are given faith. We're given a measure of faith, which is a specific amount of faith. This is what I love about the Bible. In Romans, it says you're given a measure of faith, which is like a bunch of faith. I don't know exactly how much, but it was an actual amount. And then Jesus tells his disciples, all you need is a mustard seed of faith. So he's given us a measure, and all we need is a mustard seed right, of faith. So he says, take up the shield of faith. right? So we hold up our mustard seed. And when flaming arrows come, they fall to the ground because we have a mustard seed of faith. Can I tell you that everyone here today has a mustard seed of faith because you showed up in church. Showing up in church takes a mustard seed of faith. Congratulations, you all have the shield of faith. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the shield of faith is also um, 
as we practice our faith, Pastor John was saying, you know, that God had told him, remember when he came for the um, anniversary, he told us that God had told him to, um, to increase his faith. And so he'd been watching YouTube videos uh, by people who talked about how the Bible was true and about how science proves God's true. And, you know, we can grow in our faith, right? And I want to share with you how to know when we're growing in our faith. The devil shoots these flaming arrows, they're lies, right? When we laugh at the lies, we know that we've grown in faith in that area. Let me give you an example. If I said to you, your eyes are purple, you would all laugh, right? This, you don't have purple eyes, you know you don't have purple eyes, that's obviously a lie, right? But when I say, you know, you should be reading your Bible more, then people are like, oh, I should be reading my Bible more. But I've talked before about how should is the lie in that sentence, right? So when we know God and the enemy shoots a lie at us, you should be reading our Bible more, we can laugh. We can say, that's not God. God encourages me to read my Bible more. I have to tell you right now, I'm reading Ezekiel. And um, the other day I was reading about where uh, Ezekiel was prophesying to people and this guy fell dead in front of him. He's like prophesying, like he's prophesying how they're doing bad stuff and this guy fell dead. And I'm like, oh my goodness, imagine if Carrie was prophesying and somebody fell dead in front of her. I'd be like, that's crazy. Like this, this story came alive to me and Ezekiel says to God, God, don't kill anyone else. Don't kill anyone else. You know, like, I don't want to keep talking if they're all going to fall over dead in front of me. That's how he gets us excited about reading the Bible. Stories start coming alive. We start thinking, what would happen if that happened to us? He doesn't say, you should read your Bible more, right? And so when I have the shield of faith and the enemy shoots those flaming arrows, I can laugh at the sentence, you should read the Bible more. I can laugh. That's a lie. God gets us excited about reading our Bible. You know, there is a place for self-control and discipline. There is a place for breaking through. There is not a place for condemnation. Okay, so next, the helmet of salvation. Take up the helmet of salvation, because of course, without the helmet, they're going to cut off your head. <laughs> right? Without salvation, there is nothing. That is the most important one. <laughs> I don't have anything else to say about the helmet. <laughs> Until later. Until later. Okay, the next slide. The sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the only offensive weapon listed. There's no other offensive weapon. All the rest are defensive. They're all armor. This is the only thing we fight with is the word of God. We don't fight with our smarts. We don't fight with our body. We don't fight with our finances. We fight with the word of God. So when people are saying horrible things, when the doctor is telling us that our health, there's no way to get better, when, you know, um, Family is saying they're never going to talk to us again. You know, when the day of evil comes, our only offensive weapon is the word of God, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we don't use it to bash people over the head. God says, forgive. Right? That's not how we use the sword of the spirit. Right? We use the sword of the spirit to declare things in the heavenly realms. Right? Like, when the... When Jesus was in the desert and the devil came to him and the devil says, if you're the son of God, meaning you're not really the son of God, Jesus took out his word and said, take that. This is what the word says, right? 
That's how we use the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And it's a lot easier to use the sword of the Spirit if we know what the Word says. <laughs> it just is, because what happens is, I'm sure you've had this before, you know, you've read stuff, and you've memorized stuff, and you forgot it like years ago, you know. I can't remember how many times I've memorized Psalm 91, like probably five or ten times, I still don't remember it. And then I'm talking with someone, and God brings up all of Psalm 91. Doesn't he do that? Because it's the sword of the Spirit. Because the Spirit knows what's in there. He knows what's in our heart and mind. And he brings it up and he breathes on it. See, the enemy also has the Bible. He knows what's in the Bible. You know what he doesn't have? The Spirit of God breathing on it. We have the Spirit of God breathing on it as we speak it out. We speak it out and it touches people's hearts. Right? It touches exactly where they were hurting. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So pray in the Spirit. There's a few ways to do that, right? We can sing songs. We can pray. We can dance. There's lots of ways to pray. We can pray with our body. We can pray with our mouth. And it says, pray in the spirit. You know, we can say his name over and over. We can say whatever he's saying in our minds. We can sing along. And we can also speak in tongues. And so today, um, at the end, I want to pray for people who don't speak in tongues who would like to. Because it is a really great way to pray when you're not sure what to pray. Also, the Bible says that tongues is for our own encouragement. And so when we're discouraged, praying in tongues lifts our spirits. Because you know what happens? We pray in tongues about whatever we're discouraged about, and God starts proclaiming out of our own mouths what he's going to do. And what he proclaims in the spirit, it happens in reality, right? Because that's what happens. God does it in the spirit, and it happens on the earth. It's really cool. So if, if you have been looking to pray in tongues for a while, I do want to pray for you. And I just want to say about praying in tongues, um, you don't have to pray in tongues. Nowhere in the Bible it says you must pray in tongues or you are not a good Christian. It doesn't say that. <laughs> it doesn't say that. Paul says, I wish everyone prayed in tongues more than me. Right? Because it's such a great tool. And I have to tell you that, I'm sure I've told you before, I wanted to pray in tongues for a while. I probably went and got prayer for it, I don't know, a gazillion times. Not a gazillion, less than that. But a lot. I got prayer a lot for tongues, you know, and it didn't come, and it didn't come, and it didn't come. And um, uh, when, uh, when I was in the school of ministry, uh, Mark Verkler said, you know, God often puts tongues in your head. It's already there, but you don't know it, especially people who are very, like, left-brained, math-orientated. I'm a very step one, two, three person. And he said, you know, sometimes your brain gets in the way because you start speaking it, and then you're like, is that tongues? I think that's just gibberish. And you talk yourself out of it. So he said, you know, you can just say the syllables in your head by yourself when you're alone and just let syllables come out. So when my dad received tongues, he just received two syllables, a and ba. And he didn't know that Abba meant father. And it came out Abba, Abba. And he told my mom, they prayed for me for tongues, but I don't think I got it. All I got was Abba. And my mom said, oh, that's in the Bible. That means father. And then slowly over time, uh, more and more came out. And, but he still wasn't sure if it was tongues or not. And so he went to this camp, and 
he said to the men, you know, who are in charge of the camp, he's like, you know, I'm not sure if I'm speaking in tongues or not. You know, how do I know? And they said, oh, just show it, speak it out here and we'll tell you. And my dad was like, oh, no. That's not what I thought they were going to say. I thought they were going to tell me a Bible verse so I could figure it out. So he was really embarrassed. And so, but he started speaking it out. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's tongues. Because what happens is the spirit in us recognizes the spirit in others. So today at the end, if you would like to speak in tongues, we're going to pray for you. And you know, if, if it doesn't happen today, that is okay. <laughs> that is okay. But the Bible does say that if we ask God specifically for the Spirit, He will not disappoint us. So I do believe when we ask, He will give it. Yeah, so praying in the Spirit with all kinds of requests. Okay, so on the next slide, I want to go over what it doesn't say in the uh, armor of God. Do you notice that nowhere in the armor of God does it say fight? It says, put on the armor of God and stand. It never says fight. Because, you know, if you put on the armor of God and you stand, right, because that's the goal is to keep the ground that we have, and you stand there and the enemy comes with flaming arrows, they fall at your feet. It's like he's lobbing rotten potatoes at you, and it hits the armor and falls down. It hits your sword and falls down. You know, it does not say fight. It says put it on. So we're putting on Christ. We're putting on the clothes he gave us, right? And then we stand there. It also does not say retreat. <laughs> you notice that there is no armor for your back. All the armor is for the front, right? Because God is our rear guard, right? He's standing behind us, and we stand, right? That's what it says. So sometimes when I'm talking with people, they tell me, Amanda, I'm really tired of church. I'm tired of going to church, and I'm tired of praying, and, you know, I just want to stop. I just want to, like, give it all up and, you know, just do nothing for a while. You know? And so there are times, right, when we're really tired, when we've done a lot of what feels like we've done a lot of fighting. You know, it's a fight to get up in the morning. It's a fight to put on clothes. It's a fight to get in the car and go somewhere. Um, it's a fight to see people, you know, and people are tired. And I talked before about how we're in this army together and the people who stand beside you all the time, they're there because they know your weaknesses and we can help each other. But I wanna let you know that putting down your weapons in the war zone is not a good idea. Because we're in a war zone, right? The enemy is gonna be shooting flaming arrows at us whether we hold up the shield of faith or not. They're gonna come. And so if we hold up the shield of faith, they fall down, but if we don't, if we decide, okay, that's it, I'm not doing anything, I'm not believing anything, this is it for me, those flaming arrows hit us. You know, so I, I just don't recommend not putting on the armor of God because <laughs> we are in a war zone. So in Matthew 22, there's the parable of the wedding feast. I really like um, the parable of the wedding feast because did you know that in the Bible it talks about food in heaven? There's a few places where it talks about fruit and it talks about meat. I was like, meat in heaven? 
I thought like creation groaned and then when Jesus came back, it was like redeemed. But if there's meat in heaven, like it seems like creation groans and then it just groans all over again. Like, <laughs> but I guess God can make meat without killing something, right? He can just like, oh, there's meat. But anyway, there's lots of food in heaven. In this wedding feast between Jesus and the bride, which is the church, is the biggest wedding feast ever and the biggest celebration ever and we get to go. And Jesus tells a parable about it. And so the king, his son is getting married, and he sends out invitations. And they all come back, no, or they don't come back at all. And he sends out his servants telling people, come, come, and they don't come. And then he says, just go anywhere and just get anyone, and they can come. That's us. We're the anyones. <laughs> We're the people by the roadside in this parable, just so you know who you are. You are not the invited ones at first. You're the, just go get anyone and let them in. That's us. <laughs> Right. So, so all these people come in, and the uh, king goes up to this man who's not wearing wedding clothes. He says, what are you doing here? Get out. Now, when I first read that parable, I was like, he got him from the highway. What does he think he's going to be wearing? Like, he's obviously wearing, like, clothes he was wearing on the highway. Ah, but see, now I know that Jesus gives us clothes to wear, Right? He gives us the robe of righteousness, the Bible says. He gives us the clothes to wear to the wedding feast. He gives us the armor of God to put on. And we can choose to put it on or not. We can choose to practice or not. Do we practice being ready to share the gospel? Do we practice having peace when it's difficult? Do we practice our faith when it's really hard? Like, the armor of God, like... He gives it to us, but that's not to say it's all easy. You know, standing is not always easy. But he gives it to us, and he expects us to wear it because there's a wedding feast that he's waiting to meet us at. He's waiting for the day that we get to go to the wedding feast with him and have complete intimacy. No, nothing holding us back, no walls in our heart, no... Uh, financial troubles, no pain in our body. He's saying, be ready, be ready, be ready. This is how you get ready. I give you clothes, you put them on. It's exciting. Okay, there's more, there's lots more, but I'm going to read the benediction that uh, Paul writes at the end of Ephesians 6 over us. He says in verse 23 and 24, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So grace to you, church, and peace and love with faith. That's for you. So we're going to be praying for... Uh, two different groups of people. The first one I mentioned, people who'd like to receive the gift of tongues. And the second group of people we're going to pray for is people who feel that they're facing a day of evil now. So if you have a diagnosis from the doctor that says there's no cure, if you have financial difficulty, if there's um, relationships where you're having difficulty, we're going to call you up and pray for you because we want to be the army of God and stand with you, soldier of God. We want to pray 
for the gospel of peace to be on your feet and for the breastplate of righteousness to be on your chest. We want to pray for you. But first, before I do that, I want to say perhaps today um, you haven't chosen Jesus as your God and you would like these things that I've been talking about. You would like peace despite circumstances because that is a great gift. And perhaps you would like righteousness that God gives because we just can't be righteous in our own strength. And so if you've never chosen Jesus as your God and you'd like to do that today, you can pray. And I'm going to pray now and you can pray in your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you so much that you paid the price for all my sin. And I'm so sorry for all the things that I've done wrong in my life. And I thank you for your forgiveness that you died on the Christ cross to pay the price for my sin that I won't have to pay the price that I can stand before a God with your robe of righteousness on, that I can be his son and daughter. And today I just receive you as my God. And thank you for receiving me as your child and your friend. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.